welcome to Full Spirals, a podcast where we tell the stories of belonging to this big human family and honor the raw human connections the arts consistently facilitate. It's about how life can take you for a spin, but still leave you grounded. We learn about hope and healing through the arts and the many ways creativity can lead you right back to yourself. We're so happy to have you along for the ride. I'm Stacy Parrish. episode feels important for a couple of different reasons. First, it's another OG episode that really defines where this podcast came from. And listening to it reacquainted me with the concepts of Elizabeth Lesser, the love braid, and how, according to Friedrich Nietzsche, loving whatever's in front of oneself, like completely is our highest aspiration. Being a Gen X lady and feeling, all right, just a bit over the hill at this point, I sometimes forget that what's in front of me is even worthy of my love. I get hung up on the meaningless stuff, like my really soft belly, seemingly endless aches and pains, body parts that don't work as well as they used to, or the crepey skin that seems to be showing up absolutely everywhere. And let's face it, our culture is not all about acceptance, especially when it comes to aging as a woman. But I am, or I'm really, really trying to be, and I'm really, really determined to be even more gentle with myself each year. So please enjoy this encore episode from season one, originally titled The Love Braid, and see if you can feel more of the love in your life too. I'm going to begin this episode by reading you a couple of excerpts. One is from Wikipedia on Friedrich Nietzsche, and the other is from my new favorite author, Elizabeth Lesser. Okay, so first the excerpts on Nietzsche. He said, My formula for greatness in a human being is amor fati, that one wants nothing to be different, not forward, not backward, not in all eternity, not merely to bear what is necessary, but love it. So amor fati, love of fate, not simply saying, okay, it's fine. I can deal with reality, but loving it completely. Lofty goal, right? But I get it, and I kind of dig it. I was first introduced to Amor Fati while reading the book Marrow, A Love Story by Elizabeth Lesser. It is a love story, but it's a love story about the love between two sisters during a life-threatening illness and the transformative power of pure love. She expounds upon this power by illustrating what she refers to as the three strands in the love braid. How cool of an image is that? A love braid. It's just delicious. So she describes the first two strands in the love braid as love of self and love of another. She mentions the profound kindness that we must extend to ourselves if we're ever to truly love another and owns that, of course, there have been many times in her life where she's fallen short by not knowing her worth or by not valuing the essential nature of another's worth. Indeed, she says, to love well is to get the balance right. Totally relatable right? So those seem like the more obvious ones, love of self, love of another. But Amor Fati, love of fate, that's where Elizabeth Lesser knocked me out. 
loving completely what's in front of me, like a complete surrender to this life and what it dishes out. That's the last strand. It is. And when I thought about it, after getting sober, surviving childhood sexual abuse, trauma and eating disorder, divorce, and plenty of broken hearts, it's actually my favorite. And you know why? Because just like everybody else who's gone through life and made it this far, we're still here. My odyssey through all three strands and my failed attempts at braiding have only made the pieces that I braid now more exquisite. And I've been blessed with some incredible guides along the way. And this is a story about one of them. She's the first person who modeled what the first strand in the love braid, love of self, really looked like. And she's also the person who drove home the true meaning of the other two strands. This is also a love story, a love story about my very first art teacher and how one summer she changed my life forever. I've mentioned before that I grew up in a shame-based family system that included alcoholism and lots of different forms of abuse, but I didn't mention how fortunate I was not to suffer from mental or physical neglect. I was lucky. Resources were never an issue in my life, and I had no barriers to my education. For as long as I can remember, the arts have been my escape. And my mom was the one that tried to nurture that in me. And I honestly believe that she did the best she could. One summer when I was around 10, she took me to art lessons with a woman named Joyce. The lessons took place on her sprawling farm property where we, as the kids, got to choose what we wanted to do every Saturday when we met. Joyce put the power to choose in our hands. And on my first day, I wasn't prepared for the question. No one had ever asked me that before. I didn't know what I wanted to do. The whole concept, it completely blew my mind. And so did Joyce. This was the first time I was ever exposed to being altogether liberated as an artist. And it's the first time that someone treated me as a fully autonomous person. I showed up there as this kid who was just effectively shut down as a result of the way I'd been raised in an authoritarian, patriarchal household. And you can add on to that the shame from the abuse, the emotional neglect, and for extra fun, having been ridiculed and taunted for having talent in my family. I was sort of an outsider in that way. I had no no experience or language for what personal empowerment was. So I came onto that farm just completely naive to infinite possibility. What even was that? So walking into the studio each time was like walking into this secret dark cave, one part mystery, one part magic. We kids were just the right size to walk upright down the steps into the basement studio, but grownups, grownups had to stoop to get down there. So there was a fully functioning kiln in the corner of one room that felt like this cauldron of alchemy. I didn't even know what a kiln was until I started going to these lessons. And in the other room, there was a circular table with chairs around it, and that served as our space for critique. The walls and the floor were covered with Joyce's art, some finished, some in process. My favorite piece was as tall as I was, painted in liquidy jewel tones of blues and greens and gold, and it pictured a woman's figure reclining, her head tipped back, her hair spilling down, transforming into a river, and I couldn't take my eyes off of it. 
I knew my dad would think it was obscene because the female figure wasn't clothed. And I also knew that I thought it was the most beautiful thing that I'd ever seen. Seeds of magic were planted that summer in Joyce's fantastical studio. In addition to the magic cave studio, myself and about half a dozen other kids had full reign of the grounds and the farm during our time together. It was pure bliss as a little kid. Not feeling the project you're working on? Go outside, roam the farm for a while, and come back to it, she'd say. It was the exact opposite of everything that I'd known at home and at school. It's safe to say that it is the precise educational model that my little soul so desperately thirsted for. There were white geese waddling around, horses in the barn, cats that you could pet and talk to, and all of these remarkable mature trees that you could sit under. It's where I learned that nature clears my head and that trees are my favorite thing to draw. Their bark, their branches, their majesty. She taught me how to draw with charcoal on a huge tablet and lay at the bottom of a tree and look up at it to draw. You can do that, I thought. And her answer to just about everything was, why not? Who says there's only one way to do things? She allowed me to be an artist and taught me what seeing really was. At the end of each session, we would gather at the table in the round studio, and she'd lead us through a bona fide critique of our work, like the real deal. The notion terrified me, and like even now, as a seasoned artist, I still sort of bristle at the word critique. There's something about criticism that goes with critique in my head for some reason. But looking back, I realized that Joyce modeled the true essence of what critique should be, and they were always driven completely by curiosity and not criticism. But inside of me, when I looked at my work, I would say things like, well, this part doesn't look right, or it looks like a two-year-old did it, or this doesn't even look like a horse. And Joyce was always just like, who says what a horse should really look like? Nobody can even say for sure. And she just cut through to me when she spoke. When she said it, I understood it. Got it. There's no way of knowing what a horse literally looks like in the mind's eye of another person. Like, I'm not inside the other person's head to see what they see, so how could I possibly know what they perceive? And if I can't know that, I can't ever really know what a horse looks like. The reality is, in those critique sessions, Joyce didn't just teach me how to look at art. She taught me how to look at life. So one Saturday, our project was to create a tie-dye t-shirt for Joyce to wear. Someone had the idea to place two ties where each one of her nipples would be on the shirt, like to make a boob tie-dye for her. And Joyce was all about it. Like, I think she even had, (laughs) I think she even had the shirt on while we were doing the tying. She just didn't care. It just didn't matter to her. And I'd never experienced a person who could just accept themselves and others so completely and not take themselves seriously, like at all. And I just adored her. And I don't know if I decided it consciously in that moment or not, but from that summer on, I've always wanted to be just like her. Solid, sure, empowered, beloved, and just a little nuts. 
At the end of the summer, an art festival was held for us to show all of our work from our lessons together. Both of my parents came, and I can remember feeling conflicted and nervous about it instead of excited. One feature at the event was kinetic sculptures in the sky, which we made out of helium balloons with ribbons, feathers, and beads. Once they were put together in this sort of frenzied, intuitive process, if you can imagine a bunch of kids and one woman trying to wrestle these balloons before they flew off in the sky, that's kind of what it was like. But it was this really great process. So after we had one put together, Joyce would start a dramatic countdown and drum roll. And then we would let them go and release them into the sky. And they would twist and turn, constantly changing shape and form. Kinetic sculptures in the sky. They were breathtaking and joyful. And then I saw the look on my dad's face. He almost looked repulsed. And I could tell how he felt about Joyce. He didn't have to say a word. This was the 70s, smack dab in the middle of the women's liberation movement. I was too young to understand the politics at the time, but I was in tune enough to sense that the chasm between my dad's vibe and Joyce's vibe was immense. And there she was in her tie-dyed t-shirt, complete with the two targets on her boobs, her home and her studio open to all, complete with her paintings featuring the female form and her voice from which she spoke her mind. For my dad, women were like children, basically to be seen and not heard. Or if they were heard from, there were lots of things they were definitely not supposed to say or have opinions about. He saw her that day. He saw her work. He heard her. And well, we simply cannot have a young girl learning these things. So after that day, I was never able to go back to Joyce's farm. I was never able to go back there, that is, until last year. 2021 was a year of profound growth and change for me, and I've talked on this podcast before about how the tremendous growth I experienced revolved around reclaiming and celebrating my voice, both literally and figuratively. Full Spirals is a direct result of that growth, and I explained that whole process in my Sound of Silence episode. But another way it manifested was that I realized that I really needed to use my voice to tell those who had changed my life along the way, especially as a kid, just what they had meant to me. And this realization coincided with my youngest son, Christopher's departure for college. Releasing my last little bird from the nest had made me really reflective. And when he graduated from high school in the spring, he had written letters to every one of his high school teachers to thank them for all that they had taught him. So sweet, right? I was inspired. And folks like Joyce, who changed so many lives, these are the people who don't always have a chance to hear how many ripples they've sent out into the world. And if you're a regular Full Spirals listener, you know that I've got this George Bailey thing about letting people know how they've affected your life. And given where I was in my own creative journey, it just felt so right. So I bought a thank you card and I hand wrote a letter. I poured my heart out to her about the childhood I had survived, how I'd gotten clean and sober, healed my trauma, and finally claimed for myself the vocation of artist. I told her that it was she who had opened that door for me 40-some years ago, and that I had always clung to the notion of one day feeling the same freedom that she embodied, and how I always yearned to be just like 
her. I didn't know whether I'd hear back from Joyce. I had no idea whether or not she even still lived on the farm. But I sent the card and the letter knowing that no matter what happened, it was it was all on purpose. So one evening in early September, I was flying out the door of my duplex, almost tripped over a large package on my stoop. I was like squinting to see what the label said and written with Sharpie in big letters. It said to Stacy Parrish with love from Joyce. And I was stunned. I opened the box and saw an envelope and a rectangular package wrapped in brown craft paper. And I just I burst into tears. Like, was this really happening? It was so surreal. I didn't even know if I'd hear back from her. And here was this package. So first, I read the letter that Joyce had handwritten back to me. At the top of the page, in huge block letters, she wrote, Wow, OMG, Stacy," And the words, just at the right time, were encircled in a heart. Then she wrote, At the moment I opened your card and letter, we were waiting for our daughter to help us solve a TV problem. Our life lately is a storm cloud like everyone else's. We've learned to stay in the moment. Well, I was crying so hard I couldn't talk. I just handed the card and letter to my daughter, and now she's crying. And she went on. For a while, I've been feeling down, not able to paint, thinking, there's no need to create. Maybe my time is over. She explained that a painting collection of hers had been all set to be installed at a shop in Milwaukee when the initial lockdown happened in early 2020. And now that stores were somewhat open again, the woman who owned the store had informed her that she no longer wanted or needed her paintings. Feeling discouraged, she said, I picked out two of my pieces for us, then called my kids, my best friend, and two other people who are important to me and gave them all away to them. Perfect. A couple months later, I found two more pieces, and the one you're receiving is the one I didn't know what to do with. Okay, pause. Amor fati, right? Love of fate. She accepted everything just as it was and realized that the one painting that she didn't know what to do with had been meant for me, but just didn't realize it until my letter arrived. Then Joyce went on to explain her process while painting. First, as I was working on it, she said, it felt like me. I am, she went on. I've always felt like a tree. We must make roots, plant ideas to grow. But when it's time to fly home, we will rise above and soar. And then lastly, in all caps, she wrote, this is what you have done. Your beautiful card and letter has touched some hearts that need repair then encircled in a heart. Just keep being you. Crying some more, I slowly and carefully unwrapped the painting. Under that paper was the most striking piece, Joyce's style unmistakable. Pictured prominently on the canvas was a woman turning into a tree. Looking to the heavens, her two arms outstretched, transforming into branches and leaves. With a flower crown on her flowing head of hair, there was the most intricate colored pencil work, adding texture and color throughout the composition. The woman's torso slowly turning into the trunk of a tree with these graceful, elaborate roots sprawling across the entire bottom third of the canvas, like one of those wise old trees you saw in fairy tale books as a kid. Three elegant birds circled her head, celebrating her glory and helping her, in Joyce's words, rise above and fly home. And one more little side note here. Rise Above happens to be the name of the painting workshops I've been facilitating since 2018. Another coincidence. (laughs) 
It's 44 years later, and she's standing just outside the doorway, smiling and waving a greeting with hubby Mike just behind her. She's wearing apricot capris and a t-shirt with two silhouetted birds facing a heart that says, in love. She looks exactly the same, save for her hair being slightly grayer and her face containing a few more lines, just like mine. We hug for quite a while, and I'm immediately struck by her eyes. They're the exact same color as mine. And I think to myself, have I ever met someone with eyes the exact same color as mine? They're sort of unusual. They're this kind of hazel that's sort of caramel brown in the center with sage green around the perimeter. And I think again, have I ever met someone with eyes the exact same color as mine? Not that I can recall. And her glasses, her glasses are almost identical to the ones I just ordered yesterday at the optometrist. The first prescription glasses I purchased in almost 15 years. I mean, of course they are, right? And I'm once again pulled into the idea that she and I are kindred spirits and that fate brought us together all those years ago. Mirrored spirits. And she sees signs everywhere. She takes me around her home and shows me example after example of kismet. She collects and finds heart-shaped rocks. She loves them. Anyone who knows me well knows that I've been collecting heart-shaped rocks for years. Heart-shaped rocks are my jam. And she adores trees. She taught me to see them so many years ago, and they became such a gift to me. She changed my life, and I changed hers. And in the car ride home, I wept again, realizing in another full spiral moment, I had turned out to be just like Joyce. And I wondered, how do I put this story into words so that other people can understand? And then it hit me, Amor Fati and the love braid. Love what's in front of you, and then love it some more. Love who's in front of you, and then love them some more. Love it all right now, and then love it some more. Thanks so much for listening, and please remember to subscribe to Full Spirals on your fave podcasting platform. Spirals was produced by Boom Arts in Appleton, Wisconsin. The music by Helen Avakian. Additional music provided by Beth Kelly. Production assistance by Jeff Ryan. If you liked what you heard today, please rate, review, and share Full Spirals. Bring your friends and your fam along for the ride on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or your favorite listening platform, because we really are all in this together. Till next time, take care. Take care.